Come on. Father's Day. The one day a year that we celebrate dads, right? <laughs> Sometimes it feels like that, you know? But, but no, um, I want to say something real quick about Father's Day. Uh, I'm a dad. I've got two girls, uh, one eight years old, Ariana here on the front row with us, and uh, she's having a good time. And also a two-year-old named Elin. And, um, you know, uh, I, I still remember the first time that I held Ariana. She was born. And I remember something deep inside of me shifted. I don't know what it was. I was the, I was the, the person that was scared about having kids because I didn't even know how to really hold them. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's, it's awkward. You don't want to break them, you know? And if you've ever had a kid, you don't realize how they're unbreakable. They're crazy. I mean, they fall off couches and stuff, and they get up, and they're fine, you know? But, but at first, you're like, they're so, they're so uh, you know, don't want to break them. But... Um, but whenever I held her, something, something changed, and I became a dad. And this, the responsibility came upon me, and I realized, oh my goodness, <laughs> I've got to, you know, me and my wife, we have to shape this, this child's thinking, their heart. And it was a great responsibility, uh, but it's one of the greatest joys of my life. And, uh, you know, for, for all of us dads, I really want to encourage us to do a few things. I think that one of the major problems in our country, in our world today, is fatherlessness. Far above many other things that we see going on, it's that people don't have good daddies. And, uh, and, and the repercussions of that in someone's life, um, it's hard to measure you know, with, with, with stats, but we know, we, we know what happens. And, and I think for fathers, sometimes... It might just be uh, uh, people think, oh, well, I just, you know, it's, it's just a title that I get because I have a kid, but they don't realize, like, to be a real dad, to be a real father, it takes uh, a commitment. And for all of us who are dads who are watching, I want to commend you for, for doing what you do, standing in the gap, protecting your family, but I want to encourage you to be present with your family. I want to encourage you to father your kids, to love your wife, to represent Jesus to them you have the wonderful opportunity to show your kids what a father's love looks like and define what a, what a father's looks, looks like to where whenever they read the word of God and whenever they read about God and his love for us, that they will be able to recognize God's love in the same way that they recognize your love to them. It's one of the most powerful things that we get to do as fathers. And so for, for some of you, you know, you might be in a place today where, where Father's Day is actually very an emotional day for you because maybe you, you didn't have a dad growing up or maybe, you know, your father's even passed away recently or the last few years and, and um, you know, this day isn't really a joyful day. And I want you guys to know that we're with you, we love you, but that we have a perfect father. It's Jesus, Right? He's God, and, and, and he, he loves us, he's for us, he's with us, and he guides us. And I think that this day is not just about fathers, like physically, I believe. For me, I, I can't ever think about a father's love without thinking about God. And I think that it's representative in our nation. And we need to return back to God, right? We need to return to him. And we also need to realize that, that man, we need some good dads. And so, you know, I can't control everybody, but I can control my family, and I can be a good influence in my family, and I think that's how we should look at it. And so, so dads, uh, uh, don't, don't run out of gas, all right? There's some, some tough days. Get up. I heard one guy actually, he taught a message on fathers a few years ago, and he said, he said, dads, go to bed tired. 
Not from just your job, but from being a dad. Like, like, like spend yourself on your family. You know what I'm saying? You get home from work and you're like, you just want to decompress. Don't, right? Like, 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 like engage with your family. Be present. Don't be absent. And so, so anyway, I want to I want to pray for all of us dads, us dads. All right, we need it, right? And uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna shift gears. But God, I thank you for every father that's watching. God, for even the dads that maybe feel today they haven't really done that great of a job. Lord, I'm praying that today you you help them realize that there's many chances that today is a new day. They can start off where they left off. And uh, and God, for all of us, that you help us to lead our families well. God, that you would anoint us, that you would fill us with your power, your wisdom, your presence to lead our families well. God, even in our nation, Father, we pray that you would uh, begin to, to raise up a generation of young people who understand the value of fathers and the family. And God, that you would begin to restore the family in our nation to a greater degree. God, our hope is in you. And God, we know that you have laid out a wonderful pattern for how our families should operate. And so God, we pray that that, that uh, standard would be lifted up in our world and in our nation today. God, where some seek to belittle fathers and, and push them to the side, God, we pray that you would resurrect that mindset, that it is good to have a father and a mother in a home together. God, for those who maybe that pattern isn't represented in their homes, God, we pray that you would continue to give uh, uh, single moms and single dads the, the, the wisdom and the strength to uphold both sides together as one. God, even as a church, Father, we pray that you would help us to, uh, to mend relationships together, to fill in those gaps where those gaps may, uh, may be present in our church and in our community. God, give us wisdom and creativity in how to do that. We thank you for all that you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, look, I want to give you a quick announcement before we move on. Uh, we, we, every month, we do a class. It's called Next Steps Class. And a lot of you have heard about Next Steps Classes. And uh, right now, we are not doing Next Steps Classes like we've been doing them because um, of everything that's going on, all right? So what we have done, though, is we have moved our Next Steps Classes online. So every location has an online class that you could go to, you can watch, you can fill out the, uh, the, some of the forms and all that kind of stuff, and, and you can get involved. Now, right now, we're kind of running on limited teams, uh, and we are entering into a break in our small groups right now, but we're going to be gearing up for August to relaunch our small groups. And, and, uh, and so this might be a great time for many of you, maybe you're watching online even, you don't have to actually show up right now to, to, to take your next steps. You can go online and do that. And so the information is right there on the screen. Um, go to northwood.church slash next steps class. Go to the location that you are going to be attending or you do attend in order to take that class. Also, maybe you're not from this area and uh, you got some family and friends, or maybe you used to attend Northwood, but, but kind of you're, you're not really in the mix right now. Look, We've got a lot of people watching online, so we want to encourage you, if you're part of our online community, if you want to go and watch, you can also take a Next Steps class where we talk to you about how you can be involved here at the church as well. And uh, pretty cool, huh? You don't just have to literally be in a building. Uh, it's one thing about this time is it's normalized a lot of things in our lives where... Um, <clears throat> let me ask you a question. If you've been on Zoom calls a whole lot, maybe you're, you're like working remote, have you found yourselves in really in real conversations waiting for like the lag in the, the conversation? You know, it usually happens in Zoom. You got to give people like three seconds so they can, that actually, like doing that in real life, 
No, just me. I found myself talking to someone and like I would say it and like I was waiting for them to reply and like I'm like I'm in a real conversation right now, not a Zoom conversation. I can talk like normal. We can talk over top of each other. But uh, but anyway, and so 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 really, I want to encourage you to do that if you're if you're kind of kicking the tires of the church, go to Next Steps um, slash Next Steps class. But today we're continuing our series in the Book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, maybe in case you haven't been around the last few weeks, um, I, I know for a lot of people it's like um, you know you kind of miss a week of, of online church and. And it's like, I'll double up next week, and, and you didn't double up the next week. And so like here, you're like, what, what are we in? What's the point? What are we talking about? You know, Welcome back, <laughs> okay? We've been talking through the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is one of those books that a lot of people uh, kind of look at as a negative book. They're like, man, it's super negative. Um, I, I tend to love the book because I, I, would, I would call it a very realistic book, all right? Or is I'm a pessimist stat. You know what I'm talking about. You know, uh, it's one of those books where it just it just calls out the 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 meaninglessness of life. Um, and for some of you, that sounds negative, but but it depends how you look at it. A lot of the things that we do are so cyclical, and we do the same thing over and over and over until one day our heart stops beating and uh, we've lived life. And it's like, man, what was the point of that? And the book of Ecclesiastes is written by. Uh, a man named Solomon, and most, most you know, 90% of people believe it was him in the way that he wrote the book. And uh, really, it's written as a teacher or a preacher communicating to a room full of people. And it's written from the perspective of someone sharing their, um, their, their life experience with, with people. And so we've talked about how really everything is meaningless apart from Jesus. We've talked about how religion is meaningless apart from Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we actually talked about how religion, I'm sorry, uh, politics and, and, and justice really lacks meaning without Jesus. And no, I know a lot of people might have missed that week. I would really encourage you to go back and listen to that week where we talk about politics and justice. Some people might have thought it was like a hot topic week where we just decided to reach out and talk about politics and justice. No, we actually laid the schedule out uh, like months ago before anything was going on in our nation. So I think it was like a now word from God for us to sort of align our thinking biblically around what politics um, is and uh, what justice is and also where our hope should lie, okay? And the fact that honestly, even justice is by itself meaningless. It was a great message. I think you should go listen to it. Moving on. We talked about religion last week. This week, we're going to talk about money. Money, all right? And we're going to talk about why pursuing money or satisfaction in money is, is meaningless. Now, today, when I say money, I don't want you to just think about the paper in your pocket. I don't want you to just think about the amount of money in your account. Because it, we're in church, and look, we're professional Christians. And so if I say something about loving money, you're like, no, I don't love money. I know what the Bible says about that. So I would never love money, right? The love of money is the root of all evil. We know that. But, uh, but I want to kind of twist that a little bit and, and say that whenever we talk about money, I'm not talking about necessarily the cash in your pocket. I'm talking about what that money gives you access to. You see, we might not love money, but we love what money gives us access to. We love the resources. We love the security. Uh, you know, come on. You like to open up your bank account and see a big number and be like, ah, 
you know, if everything hits the fan, at least I'll be good for uh, two weeks. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, you, you look at your portfolio and you're like, man, I'm doing really good. See, it's, it's not necessarily the number, it's the security. It's the lifestyle. For some, it's the status. It's the fact that I get to live in a certain house and hang out with certain people and have certain conversations, and that gives me significance, and that's what I like. So no, I don't love money. Of course not. But do I actually, am I being seduced by actually what that money can give me access to? I think that's the greater question. I think that's the point of the statement, the love of money is the root of all evil. So we're going to kind of crack that open today, and uh, I think we're going to get a lot of help. A lot of perspective. Um, I want to say a couple things first. It's not a sin to be rich, all right? So if you got a big number in that bank account, don't feel guilty because of that. That's not the point either, all right? Some people, they, they get into this poverty mindset. You got to be po- in poverty in order to prove that you're holy. Well, that, that's not true. However, I will say this, that whenever you have a lot of money, you have some unique hurdles to jump over, you have some unique obstacles that, that you have to encounter. And I want to say this, that in America, even though a lot of us feel like we might not be rich, in comparison throughout history and in comparison to the rest of the world, I, you need to know that we are pretty rich. I mean, I know that there's a lot of poverty in our nation. Don't get me, I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting extreme, but I am saying overall, Like, we have a lot of good things going for us here in America, and that can be a cultural problem where we all, our threshold for the love of money is shifted to where we're like, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I don't have as much as he does. We're even going to talk about the fact that you don't have to have a lot of money to be in love with money. You know, this is a weird thing that we're going to talk about, all right? So everybody ready? Okay, good. Um... So Solomon's going to help us answer this question. And again, the question is, why is pursuing satisfaction in money meaningless? Why is pursuing satisfaction in money meaningless? We talked a few weeks ago about really everything is meaningless and we cannot be satisfied by anything without Jesus. And this is sort of a take on that. But uh, the first reason that uh, pursuing satisfaction is meaningless is that you'll never have enough. You will literally never have enough money. There's not a moment... I mean. Has there been a moment in your life where you looked at your bank account or you looked at what you had and you were like, you know what? We're good. I'm good. Hey, babe, no need. No need to, we're fine. We don't need to talk about saving anymore. No. Or spending, whatever it is. Or maybe you're spending so much that you can never have that conversation. I don't know. You'll never have enough. In Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 10, he says this. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. You'll never have enough. You want that number to be bigger and bigger. You want that security to be bigger and bigger. John Rockefeller is one of the richest men in the world, uh, men in the world back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. A journalist asked him something about, you know, hey, when, is, when, is, when are you gonna have enough money? Like, when, when have you actually, you know, made it? And he said, well, just a little bit more. <laughs> it's like, I just need, just need a, a little bit more and then I'll be good. The thing is, is that obviously there's always a little bit more. Number one, you'll never have enough money. Number two, the reason it's meaningless is because um, <clears throat> you'll attract friends. All right, in case you're listening right now, I have quotation marks up. Friends, 
Verse 11, he says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Whenever you make a lot of money, all right, whenever you progress in life, it isn't amazing, or maybe, maybe it's not for you, maybe it's a friend of yours. It's like, man, they, there's also, they got a lot more friends around them. How many people, you know, they, they win the lottery, all of a sudden, like the, the random cousin that they don't even know their name shows up on the front doorstep, like, hey, what's going on? Like, Who are you? I'm your second cousin's brother-in-law. <laughs> What? You're a stranger is who you are, you know? No, but, but a friend shows up and, uh, wow, they want a, a piece of the pie. Bernie Kosar, he's an ex-NFL quarterback. Um, he, had, uh, he was paying for 60 cell phone plans. 60. He didn't even know the names of some of the people he was paying for. Just people showed up and friend of a friend of a friend needs a cell phone. And he's like, okay, okay. Why? You know, people are consumers. And so whenever they find someone who's got ample or an abundance, they, they show up to consume alongside. I think about the prodigal son. Uh, it's a story of the Bible where a son, he wanted his inheritance early. And so he gets his inheritance from his dad and he goes out and he just blows it. He just, he just spins it all and he parties it up. And so he had a bunch of friends, obviously, during that time. And, uh, but, but the thing is, is that when the money ran out, the friends left, Right, because they were there for the status, they were there for the fun, they were there for reasons that had nothing to do with relationship. And so, you know, friends show up. Another thing that's meaningless about it is that you'll not sleep enough. I think what's funny is the more that you have, the more you're freaked out about losing. Right? If you don't have a lot of stuff, you're like, ah, well. <laughs> you get a lot of stuff, you're like, I can't lose it. I think it's a whole lot harder to downgrade than it is to upgrade, all right? To downsize your life rather than upsize. We always talk about, man, it's a fight to get up. It's a fight. Man, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I see once, once you get in a certain place of life to actually go back to a simpler form of life, or a, a, you know what I'm saying? That's actually pretty difficult. You got to uphold what you have built. You'll not sleep well. Verse 12, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the stomach, the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. An insatiable desire for more. What's the next opportunity? What's the next thing? What's the next level? I got to keep growing. I got to keep going. I got to keep progressing. And these things in and of themselves, again, are not negative. But again, we're going through Ecclesiastes, and he's talking about it from a certain perspective. I've heard people say stuff like, you know, if you, if you woke up broke, then you had no business going to sleep. Well, some people would consider half of us in this room to be broke. You know, like, I don't think I'm broke. Well, you're broke compared to me. You know, it's like, well, should I never sleep? That's some people's mentality. You know what? I can get away with sleeping three or four hours a night because I got to get up and I got to go. I got to hustle. I got to hustle. And you know, there's seasons for that. But if that's like the consistent RPM that you're running at, got to play that out. It's kind of crazy. This isn't on the screen, but Proverbs 23 says this. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own clever cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Right? Everything's cool. The numbers are going good. Boom, COVID-19. 
right? Like everything's good, everything's good. Poof, bubbles are bursting everywhere. <laughs> it's like everything was going so well. What, what's the deal? Riches are fleeting. They always have been. It's the way that it can go, right? You can, you'll, you'll not sleep, sleep well. Another thing, it's meaningless because if that's where you're looking for satisfaction at, riches, money, you'll hurt yourself. Verse 13, there is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owners to his hurt, to his hurt. Pursuing satisfaction in money, did you know that it can make you selfish? It can make you very self-centered. It can make you unhappy and dishonest. Notice I'm saying it can. Just having a lot of money doesn't, it doesn't mean that it will, okay? But it can, looking for satisfaction in it. There's actually studies that have been done it's kind of funny, but studies show that rich people are more likely to cut off people in traffic. They're more likely to, like, you know, when there's like buckets of candy, like it cash registers and it says like, these are for your kids or whatever. Like rich people are, are more likely to reach in and grab the candy. Take a candy from kids. Come on, guys. What's wrong with, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they, they said they had all of these stats and, it, you know, hey, Take, take it with a grain of salt, you know what I'm saying? It's not, like, it's not like that for everybody, but just more likely. Why? A little bit of entitlement, right? A little bit of power, a little bit of authority, you know? I can kind of do what I want to do. It can kind of seep in. We don't want to be like Scrooge, right? So <laughs> you can hurt yourself. Riches, the love of money, the pursuit of satisfaction in money can hurt yourself. It can hurt you. You'll never be truly secure. And I think for a lot of people, this one right here is a big deal. Security. We look at our homes and our money and what we have as a baseline of security. We're gonna read a story in a little bit or talk about a story in a little bit where Jesus goes to the heart of the matter with a man and he actually gets where it's really at because a lot of us, guess what? You don't care if you go on a giant vacation. You don't care if you have the best house or the best car. You don't, you don't really care about all that kind of stuff. But what you do care at a deep part of your heart is that there is a security for you and your family. And that in and of itself is not negative. Again, okay, I want the same thing. We all want the same thing, guys, all right? But we gotta be careful even in something that sounds so noble and just security. Verse 14, and those riches were lost in a bad venture, and he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. Money represents security for so many people more than a lavish lifestyle. And it's also something that, that we want to, to hand off to our kids. You know, my goal is that my kids live a better life than I've lived, right? I know that for me, I've lived a better life than my own parents did growing up, all right? And I think that's a blessing. Like, that's, that's the, the hope for, for all of us is that, that we would be able to, to pass on to our kids even just something small, even if it's just a spiritual wealth, right? Come on. Like that our kids would live a better life than we live. That like, I don't want my kids to go through the pain that even I've gone through, but there's things that I've gone through that my dad went through that I didn't have to go through, right? So it's, it's a wonderful thing. But do you know when it comes to wealth and passing wealth on from generation to generation, that, that again, there's studies that have shown that 70% of wealth doesn't even really make it to the second generation and 90% doesn't get to the third. Something happens, something breaks down. Some of it may be that there's something that you learn in the process of struggling 
to gain that wealth in the first place that the next generation doesn't have to struggle to get. And so therefore they don't build the character it takes to actually keep it. Make sense? We don't like to struggle, but you know, sometimes it's good for us to struggle. It's good for us to struggle. But the next thing, you'll leave it behind. Come on, Solomon, stop it. Verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and uh, shall take nothing for his toil that he, may carry, uh, that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind, chasing the wind? Well, we come into this earth, we come in naked, and we leave with nothing. We really do. You'll be the last thing. You'll be a miserable person if you're looking for satisfaction in money. Verse 17, moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Sounds like, like some Lord of the Rings character, you know? Like, yeah. oh, you know? I think whoever, uh, you know, wrote the character, oh my gosh, what's his name? Gollum? Gollum, yeah, yeah. My precious. They, uh, they watched or they read Ecclesiastes before they, they built that character. They're like, verse 17, he eats in darkness, ah, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Anyway, I'm getting off base here. <laughs> Maybe that doesn't happen on the outside, but that can happen on the inside. Riches are fleeting. They leave us wanting. So Solomon is saying that we can't tr find true satisfaction in money alone. So let's kind of flip the script a little bit. Let's, let's answer this question. So how can I be satisfied with my money? Because guess what? We all need money, right? You need money to pay your electric bill in case you didn't know. Like you better have some money in that bank account or, you know, they're going to cut it off. So, so money is important and it's not all evil. Okay, so how can we be satisfied with money? How can we actually gain money, right? Gain wealth and do it in the right way. Well, you can be satisfied with your money by number one, being content and joyful in what God has given you. You knew it was coming. Come on. You already wrote down it before I even said it. Like he's going to talk about being content in Jesus again. All right. <sighs> That's right. I don't have very many tricks up my sleeve, y'all. Neither does the Bible. But anyway, tantalize me. Okay, the Bible says in verse 18, behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of of God. It's a gift of God to be able to enjoy and be content with what you have. He doesn't say how much you have. He says with what you have. He kind of looks at it from a little bit different angle in chapter six, verse one. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, basically on this earth, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It's a grievous evil. 
You got some people who have nothing, yet they seem to enjoy everything. And you have some who have everything and they enjoy nothing. It's terrible. It's vain. It's sad. It's disheartening. But this is what we see all around us. I'm always, still to this day, always intrigued whenever I hear someone like a movie star or somebody that's super rich and they got everything, right? We're watching them on TV like, oh, that's awesome. And whenever the person says something like, what's the, what's the main thing that you want in life? And, and I've heard this a thousand times. It's like a, a young, you know, a young star. And they say, really, honestly, I've, I've always wanted to have kids and a family. And you're sitting there with your kids crawling all over you <laughs> vomiting everywhere, you know what I'm saying? Changing diapers. And you're like, you want this? <laughs> I want that. <laughs> you know, I just want peace for one day, please. And, but it's like people want what the other one has. That's so vain and weird and grievous. And, and it doesn't make any sense. You want what I have and I want what you have. We're insane. It does drive us to that point though. It does. It it drives us literally to a point of breaking. The key is not how much or how little you have, but rather it's how you view what you have. It's how you view it. You can have a 1,200 square foot apartment house and you can love it and be gracious for it. I've said this story quite often, but it it was a big moment for me. Me and Nadine, uh, we had Ariana. We wanted to get another house and uh, the, the area that we were in, the property value wasn't doing very well. And we were kind of like trying to make some good choices. We, we made some good choices when we got married and bought a house instead of going on a nice vacation. And when we sold our house, we lost $16,000. So what a wonderful choice we made, right? It's like, we should have gone on a better honeymoon, man, because everything tanked and, you know, so anyway. Sometimes you try to be smart and you end up looking dumb. But uh, but you know, uh, we were looking to, 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 to get into a different house and, and we were frustrated. We were trying to sell our house and blah, blah, blah. It was just like, man, it's not selling. And one day I was sitting in my, in my, my living room and my, my chair, I was looking at my house and I was kind of complaining in my head and I got convicted. I got convicted and, and, I, and I said, God, you know what? If I never move out of this house, I thank you that I have a house. And I thank you that my family has a roof that we can be underneath, right? And something changed here. Nothing changed with the house. It was still kind of rickety a little bit and, and kind of, you know, there's some things about it that wasn't built very well, but something changed in my heart. You know, like within a month, we sold our house. I don't know. I, I'm not, I have no idea. Maybe, that, maybe, maybe God was holding back the sale of the house for me. I don't know. Maybe it was just coincidence, right? I look at it as God spoke something deep in my heart and said, are you content, are you content with what you have? Because if you're not, you'll never be content with anything more. Big deal. It's a big deal. So you can be so focused on what you don't have that you miss and you look over what you do have. One thing I want to mention is that there's a part in Proverbs, um, and it's a man, he makes two requests to God. And one of the requests he makes is that God would help him to never, never be dishonest. But the next thing he says is, God, would you never give me, God, don't give me too much, but don't give me too little. Give me what I need. Did we pray that prayer? God, don't give me, don't give me too much money. Don't give me too much because like he says, he says, I might basically become dependent upon myself and, and independent from you. And he says, I never want to be in that place. It's a wonderful prayer, wonderful perspective. The next thing, how can I be satisfied with my money is by investing in meaningful relationships. 
Verse seven of chapter four. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? For this is, is, is also vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Every now and then, you got to remind yourself who you're working so hard for. What are, I mean, you know what I'm saying? You're saving up. You're, you're saving for retirement. You're saving for these things. For what? Is it just for you? We were built, made, created for community. We were created for that. And, and for us, even in our jobs and what we're, we're doing, we're not just building wealth, building you know, finances, trying to make more money just to do that. We're, we should be doing that for other people. I love in Genesis when God tells Abraham, he says, You're gonna, I'm going to bless you so you be a blessing to other people. Like that was built in from the beginning. I'm not gonna bless you just so you're the end recipient of it. I wanna bless you so that you can go and be my hands and feet and bless other people. A generous lifestyle. Maybe that's what you need to begin to pray. God, I, I pray that you bless me so I can be a blessing to others. God, I don't wanna just, just gain wealth for myself. But also if you look at it from a family perspective, like we've gotta look at it from a little bit different angle. And, and, and it, it's, it's in this. There's some people who spend so much of their life, so much of their time building wealth, building a job, a career, and their family, who they're building the wealth and the career for, ends up paying the price for it. They hustle and they progress. They lose their family and their friends because of it. I wanna, I wanna encourage all of you. And I wanna, you know, if you're watching, same thing. If you're single, Hustle and progress. Do it. Like, like, like go to college, do all those things, whatever God's put in your heart and put in your path, go for it. But, but don't do it at the expense of your soul because you'll look back one day and you'll have everything that you wanted in your dream. You'll reach all your goals, but if you lose your soul, then you actually lost the thing that mattered the most. So hustle, progress, learn, do all those things, but don't lose your soul. If you're married... Hustle and progress, build your career, do it, go for it, but don't do it at the expense of your soul and your marriage. There are certain things that you can hustle and you can do in life if you're single that once you're married, you can't, you're not flying solo anymore. You are responsible for that other person and your marriage has to come before your career. Personal opinion, I think it's biblical, but Definitely not culturally appropriate, I guess. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Marriage comes before your career. If you're a family, if you're your parents, you got kids, hustle and progress. Build your career. Do it. But don't do it at the expense of your soul, your marriage, and your family. It's not worth it. It's also not the heart of God for us. We are taught in our society to flip the script a lot of times. The soul, like you just deal with it, right? Your marriage, eh. Now, most people are all about their kids. There's one thing I've seen. I saw a very successful man uh, a few years ago. He said, you know, they said, what's your ma major regret in life? He said, he said, you know, I was a really good dad. I am a really good dad. He said, but I wish I was a better husband. He said, I was a much better father than I was a husband. That happens a lot. A lot of people are much better parents than they are spouses. 
things happen, I know, but, but, but money can also be a part of that. You begin to build a career, you begin to try to progress, you begin to hustle, and the things that matter the most fall to the wayside. Your soul, your relationship with Jesus, your focus on what he has for you to do, not just what you're trying to do, your marriage, your family, all of those things can take a back seat. We've got to keep things in the proper priority. But whenever you invest in, meaning, in meaningful relationships, guess what? You can enjoy your money. You really can. The last thing, how can I be satisfied with my money? By understanding that Jesus is your reward. And I didn't get a lot of amens on that one. I knew it. I just, I was waiting for it. I was like, maybe I'll get the Christians to be like, yes, that's, man, that, that's right. Jesus is my reward, right? Uh, because it's like enjoying my money a lot of times doesn't really connect to that. For Christians, we should have a revelation that says this. We actually enjoy life more because we have it prioritized properly. You see, you see if, if I am truly searching for my identity and my meaning and my purpose in solely what I do in this life, it's pointless. It's meaningless. Because here's the deal. Shocker, big, big alert here. We're all going to die. We're all going to pass away. And the things that we're working so hard to gain in this life are going to pass away as well. It's, 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 a, it's, a very, it's a very heavy thought. It's a heavy reality. But you know what? It's a thought and it's a reality that keeps us focused on what matters. It's not negative. It's not, we don't have to live in fear about that. But it is reality. And so therefore, we organize the way that we spend our money. We organize what we, what we think we're going to be satisfied in. We organize that around what the Word of God says. And at the end of the day, we've got to understand that Jesus is our reward that this is temporary. The word meaningless in Ecclesiastes is sort of like a vapor. You ever tried to grab some steam? <laughs> you can't. It's, it's there and it's gone. And that's how he, he describes our life. And that's how the pursuit of satisfaction in money is without Jesus. Let's keep things organized properly. The last thought I wanna leave you with is this. From dust we came, from dust we return. Worldly wealth is pointless without eternal wealth. And eternal wealth starts with knowing Jesus. That's where it starts. That's the step one, right? So today, here we are in this room, watching online. And I believe this. I believe that a lot of people, you're listening and you're realizing how things are sort of disorganized. You're realizing like, like you've been chasing one thing and believing like, like once I get that in order, then I'll be able to turn and, and give Jesus, right, what he needs. Then, then I'll be able to do that. But I'm going to do this first and then I'll get to that. My dad, whenever he was growing up, he grew up in, in Catholic church and, and uh, he just went through all the kind of the motions and, and he had this thought process growing up, even into his adult life that he would, uh, one day whenever he got old, right? Which I guess wouldn't be now. I guess, I guess now would <laughs> that, that then, then I'll follow, I'll follow God. Like that's when, like whenever I get old and, and basically I've lived life and I've enjoyed it, that's when I'm gonna surrender my life to God and, and do the whole God thing. 
completely out of whack. But I think that we kind of do that to a certain extent in our, in our thought processes at times. Like, hey, at one point, at some point, I'm going to be able to uh, give more. At some point, I'm going to be able to, you know, at some point, I'll organize my finances around lordship to, to God. But, but for right now, it's, a, it's about me. Like, at like some point, I'm going to spend my money the way that God wants me to spend my money. But for right now, right? At some point, I'll be generous, but just not right now. I think God's calling us to attention right now, to surrender, and today's about money, and it's a very, very sensitive topic. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Just say this, say, God, search my heart, search my motives, God, the way that I am perceiving money and wealth and, and the satisfaction of it. God, if there be any worldly and carnal ways in me, God, would you convict me of that? Lord, would you change my perspective? God, let me not fall into this rat race mentality of just trying to rank up and move forward and move forward. And God, not never looking back and saying, man, at what cost? Lord, would you forgive us where we have actually, we've actually, you know, we've prioritized money above a lot of other things. God, forgive us for those moments. And God, right now, I pray for those who don't know you. Lord, I pray that right now you would reveal yourself to them, that you are the beginning and the end. You are the one that we find satisfaction in. Right now, if you're far from God and you know it, you know that you don't really have a relationship with him, uh, you're watching today, you're here today because it's Sunday and that's just, it's church day and that's what we do, but you're realizing that your entire worldview, the way that you approach your life is all out of whack and you're saying, man, I need Jesus. The first thing to do is not to go fix a bunch of other things or get cleaned up. The first thing to do is to bow your heart to him and say, Lord, I need you. Come on, right now, just say that. Say, if you're far from him, say, Lord, I need you. I believe in you. God, I repent right now. I change the way that I think. God, I need you to help me change the way that I think, to think and live in a way that actually honors you and glorifies you and prioritizes you above everything else. Lord, would you change my heart Lord, I want to know you. I want to hear you. I want to be, be, uh, be directed by you, guided by your spirit, not mine. I believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for my sin, for my shame. And now I can live in confidence and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, stand to our feet. I think in light of what we've talked about, that this would be a great time to wrap up the service, singing this song again. All my hope is found in the hands of Christ, my King. And now let's sing it a little bit different, right? Let's sing it from a different perspective. Everything, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of our hope, all of our peace is in Him. Come on, let's sing this together. Found in 
this morning. It is great to be back in the house. Who's been excited to be back in the house today? Woo! Yeah, it's been fun. Um, I'm glad you all were here. It's just great seeing your faces, those smiling faces looking back at us up here. It's awesome. Hey, for those of you who maybe are here, I, I met some new people this morning actually coming in. Maybe you're new to Northwood. This is your first time this week. Maybe you're watching online. This is your first time joining us. And uh, you just want to get connected to the church here. We'd love to connect to you. So uh, if you could actually go to northwood.church slash next steps, just a simple little form, fill it out. We're going to get in touch with you this week. Also, if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Jordan, whether you're online or right here in the room and you accepted Jesus as your savior, you just entered into a brand new family not just the Northwood family like the whole world church family and this is awesome you just took an amazing step so we want to connect with you as well same thing northwood.church slash next steps we're gonna reach out to you this week so uh, guys this has been fun um, don't forget uh, we are a giving church we've done so many things over the past few months and are continuing to do things to reach out to our community to our region and all around the world Northwood.church slash giving. If you notice, there's some uh, there's some pieces of paper, some signs over the receptacles in the lobby, and there are no buckets in the room this morning. We actually are not doing that, so we're going to continue giving online and sending our checks into the church. The address is right up in the screen behind me. So that's what we're doing for now. We're going to continue to do that for a little bit, but uh, don't forget, next week is going to kind of be same ops, all right? Same operations. Signing up on Friday, showing up and signing in and everything. I thought it went pretty smooth this morning, didn't it? too bad all right so and it's been great so hey you all have a great week we'll see you next time later